The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking a Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson. TC's going once more. We're going to get right into it today because we do have stuff trade going on. We have the Blue Jays acquiring Corey Dickerson and Adam Simber from the Marlins for veteran Joe Panic and a minor leaguer named Andrew McInvale. So, uh, TC, do you feel like the stove's getting hot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is always how it starts. It always starts with a Dickerson getting traded <laughs> somewhere. Uh, this is this is a fine little deal. It's a classic kind of June, June move. A couple of veterans being swapped. Not a lot of high value pieces here, but but Simber is pretty underrated, and he's a solid pickup for the Blue Jays. So I don't think it's actually t- wholly inconsequential here. Um, otherwise, you know, I think this will probably be it for a while. So it's getting hot, but it's it's still going to take some time. I still think we're going to be, I think we're going to have kind of a flurry near the deadline and not much until then. Yeah, I think there is plenty of reason for plenty of teams to wait. Kevin Goldstein at Fangraphs has actually been doing a series based on what teams might be making calls about given where they stand right now, and he's noted how quickly things can change and how much they change over the course of just a couple of weeks. So I think that that about pegs it for this deal in particular, but it was interesting to me that you just said that you feel it won't be an inconsequential trade, that Simber is really the bigger piece here, uh, that he is, you know, as, as a funky right-hander with a really funky slot, he throws uh, a modest 87 miles per hour, but it's really effective. Uh, even if things don't happen for a while with the rest of the trade landscape, does this trade indicate anything about it in terms of what kinds of moves teams might look to make first? Yeah, I, mean, I think if there's anything happening, it'll be this kind of deal. I mean, for the most part, there aren't that many surefire sellers and of those that, that, that are out there, pretty much just the Diamondbacks and maybe the, maybe the Marlins now a little bit, like, teams don't even know what to make of players right now because of the, the sticky stuff scandal, like where front offices are reevaluating everybody and trying to figure out, okay, well, who are these guys now that we're playing with this game? Who are these pitchers and who are these hitters and you know, how are things going to go? So I think it will be a while largely for that reason. Otherwise it's, you know, this kind of deal works because the Marlins aren't really giving up a whole lot. I mean, relievers are relatively fungible as important as they are they're still relatively fungible and and a guy like Simber who is you know not a young man at 30 years old like 
he's a, he's fine value. He has three more years of control left, and he's making under a million dollars. So there's you know he's a nice piece in that sense, but long term he's he doesn't really add much to the Marlins, and Corey Dickerson really adds nothing to the Marlins except uh, you know blocking his spots for young outfielders. So I I think these are the kinds of deals we're going to see really more motivated by the by the sellers and the buyers teams looking to clear out some roster spots and clear out some playing time for some younger players. Yeah. While it always takes two teams to make a trade, ultimately it's going to take one to actually decide to move somebody, right? It takes one to sell. And when you're the Marlins at 33 and 45, it's probably a little easier to make that choice knowing that you're really not competing in a division that hasn't been terribly competitive just yet. Uh, so that that part of it is interesting from Miami's perspective. Uh, I think that a reliever like Simber is someone who tends to get moved around a lot. He's already on his third team, right? In how many how many seasons? Not many. I think it's his fourth. Yeah, it's yeah, his fourth, fourth season. season. And he's already been on actually four orgs. So look at Adam Simber go. You go, Adam Simber. Uh, he's got 170 innings to his career. He's a K per nine under six or under seven. Uh, he walks a decent amount of batters, but not too many. Not a ton of value, but somebody who provides value from a different look. And this is like we've talked about teams constructing their rosters based on offering different looks, offering different skill sets that maximize uh, each other when they have to be played throughout the course of the game. This feels like just what Adam Simber is. This feels like the fungible piece he will be and continue to be. He'll keep going around the league. He'll keep finding use, being useful in tiny spurts here and there. And uh, otherwise, be like we were saying, a fine reliever. But uh, the Dick- Blue Jays need fine relievers. Like That's the thing. is, it's, it, it has potential real consequence for the Blue Jays who don't have a great starting rotation. Their, their lineup is fine, and they need guys who can post zeros. And putting Simber in the bullpen ahead of Jordan Romano. Like if we talk about different, giving teams different looks, different arm slots, different velocities, different arsenals, like putting Simber back to back with Romano in that bullpen is about as different as they come. And I think that is partially what the Blue Jays are looking at here and thinking about how are they going to manage to get through these next four months or these next three months and find a way into the, into the wildcard game because they're not there yet. And there aren't a ton of starting pitchers out there. So I do think that this is, you know, yeah, he'll probably keep moving around or could keep moving around, but I, I really do like him in that Blue Jays bullpen. Yeah, and they do have a middling bullpen to this point in the season. I think it's interesting to pair him with somebody like Romano where it does really potentially mess up the timing of opposing hitters. And you mentioned it. They are fighting essentially for a wild card spot, right? At 41 and 35 in an AL East where things have shaken up uh, dramatically different than we might have drawn it up back in the winter. But the Red Sox have a six-and-a-half game lead on them. The Rays have a two-game lead. The Yankees are right there. The wild card has a pretty good shot of coming out of the American League East. And it seems to me as though Toronto is pushing just enough chips in here to say we want that spot. And it could be very interesting to see if no other teams really do that, or if teams do it, but they pushed in sooner, so they have a bigger advantage. Do you feel like they make this move knowing that it it gets them at least one piece who will help down the stretch over these next three, four months? And ultimately, yeah, that you know that that gap they they add now is the difference maker. 
I think it's very much about filling in those cracks on their roster and, and making sure that they've really shored up any spots where they might get hurt. And yeah, I don't see the reason not to do it right now. I do think that they're trying to get a jump on them. And the Blue Jays have known all year that they're competing this year. They're going for it, right? They're one of the teams that know for sure they want to be in the playoffs this year. And so they're going for it. So they want to get these guys now and getting an extra month of Simber does help. I mean, and they really didn't give up very much. So I'm mean, basically they're taking on payroll in the form of Dickerson, but not very much, only about once everything shakes out and the Marlins send their money, they're taking on about 1.4 million extra. So it's not a huge add to their payroll. And like I said, Simber is a nice piece for their bullpen, a bullpen that has been like continually decimated. You know, they lost their lost Kirby Yates before the season even started. Douglas has been hurt and not hurt, and they've been relying on Tyler Chatwood, which is not a, a way to win ball games. Like he is, he's one of those guys who can look—he can look brilliant for a week at a time, and you're like, "Whoa, look at this guy, Tyler Chatwood! He's got the beard, he's looking good," but he will always fall apart on you, and he has fallen apart on the Blue Jays. So they need these guys, and even even Corey Dickerson, you know, not a great player, but he will—he'll put up good at bats he's got a good eye at the plate and he kind of fits the roster perfectly because they are so right-handed in the outfield and i'm basically with lourdes Gurriel jr with randall gritchick casco hernandez they have a lot of right-handed power with dickerson they get a left-handed on base guy which you know in the right situation is something that they very well could use especially with rowdy Tellez kind of bombing out this year as their as their you know left-handed da so you know, Dickerson hasn't had a great season. He's not a star player by any means, but he hits right-handers pretty well. And if you are able to protect him, like the Blue Jays might be able to protect him against lefties, he's a pretty useful piece too. So again, I think it's just about like maximizing every single roster spot, making sure you get some utility out of every spot. And, you and you know, Dickerson and Simber helps them there. And it does help them a month earlier than most teams are going to have help. Dickerson in particular is still dealing with a foot injury that will keep him out at least another few weeks from what we can gather at this point. But he does crush righties for his career. He's a 287, 333, 514 hitter. So he brings some legitimate power against right-handers. And of course, as a lefty and with righties being two-thirds of the league in terms of pitching, that's going to present a lot of opportunity. And like you're saying, fitting in as a nice piece, as a complimentary piece, as a fourth outfield type, uh, you know, you get Dickerson back, maybe George Springer gets going, and suddenly this team is making a, a really valid push for the wild cards. Uh, you know, suddenly if things get really weird really fast, and why not? Because they already have been. Maybe they do kind of sneak into a momentary discussion about the division. I like the move from... Uh, from the Jays' perspective, and really, like you're saying, it's kind of just cutting salary for the Marlins, right? Like, for a team that isn't competitive, they don't necessarily need to dole out $8 million for Corey Dickerson when he's not playing for them right now anyway. Like, he's really just blocking Jesus Sanchez, and apparently the Marlins have seen enough of Sanchez to say, hey, you know what, Uh, this is your spot to lose right now, and uh, go take it and try to run with it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, why not give Jesus Sanchez a chance now? I mean, you're not particularly in this race. You know, Dickerson is not a, you know, he's a guy who's useful when he's useful. There's not much of a, you know, long-term future for him. So, like, Sanchez is the guy that you want to see what he's got. So, yeah, give him the at-bats now. And panic doesn't help very much. I'm not totally sure why they got panic, except maybe to offset salary. But they have had injuries in the middle infield. And, you know, he's a guy who can spell you there and check you in case, 
you know, Jazz Chisholm gets hurt and and you don't have to rush certain guys, but he's really just probably there for salary matching and injury protection. Well, and they've had some issues like Brian Anderson is missing time at third base for them and, you know, panic can slide over there. So I'm sure they'll give him th- that he'll give them some utility and, uh, you know, Right, like they're not looking to hold on to Joe Panic as a long-term asset for their next competitive team, but for what they needed for that salary, for ultimately a, you know a chance on a minor league guy, why not? Uh, so it's an interesting deal, I think, from from both teams' perspectives, and really because it's been a slower week, we've got just a couple of other things going on this week. Uh, one of them is Kyle Schwarber's epic heater. He has not home run hit a home run yet today. But he has 12 homers in his last 10 games coming into play today on Wednesday the 30th. And he's been described by the Nats hitting coach Kevin Long as just, he's in the zone. He really is, yeah. How do you feel about Kyle Schwarber right now? Do you Is this something that you're not really believing? Like, obviously, this isn't who he is. He's not going to do this every 10 games the rest of his career, but... Is it like one of those wow things where it's just like we have to step back? We talk about this a lot, stepping back and just saying, wow, we really should appreciate this as it happens because it doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what this is. It's just an unreal moment. I mean, Schwarber has been just insane. And the thing is, it's not, it hasn't even been the whole month. It's been June 12th and on. He had no home runs as of June 12th. I mean, and and the, the crazy thing, too, is like, you know, we we give a lot of credit sometimes to guys moving to managers, moving guys around the batting order, shaking it up, things like that. But we don't actually believe any of it. Schwarber moved into the top spot in the lineup and immediately started hitting homers and he hasn't stopped. He's like seven out of 17 leading off games with home runs. It's just an insane level of like efficiency in the leadoff spot to the point where like, I really can't believe it. You know, when it, when it keeps hitting them, it's just, it's pretty insane, but it is just the moment thing, you know, he's going to cool down. He's being out homered today by Jordy Mercer. So, yeah, <laughs> things things will slow down for him. But we always know that Schwarber had this kind of power. Like, that is his thing. And I think he's been going the other way better than usual. And he's been really teeing off on fastballs in a way that he hasn't in a couple of years. So, that bodes well for him. And, you know, I don't know. We might see some of these guys. There are certain sluggers that we're going to see really rebounded as as the sticky stuff situation is kind of falls in line and guys have less control on those high heaters and less spike on those down and away curveballs and you know the guys like Schwarber Schwarber has been teeing off on high fastballs all month so again I don't think he's gonna he's not gonna continue at this pace but it's pretty fun while it's while it's lasting it's a it's a pretty darn cool hot streak I mean second most home runs in the month of June ever to to Sammy Slam and Sammy Sosa in 1998, and he had a little help that year too. So, uh, you know, pretty cool moment for for Schwarber, especially as he's on a you know in a new fan base and you know getting getting known here by folks in DC. Uh, you know, people are really taking to him these days. So there are two things there that stick out about what you're saying. One is that the lack of sticky substances does seem to be having an immediate impact. This is something I I just written about. I think it just came out today at Baseball Prospectus about the league average, the weighted on-base average for hitters on pitches middle-middle has gone up 30 points since last week, since June 22nd when the league started to officially institute this no-sticky-stuff policy. It has actually gone up uh, almost weekly. Like So from May 15th, it went from 389 
uh, to three ninety nine, and then from the fifteenth of May until June third, uh, or from June third on, it went up to I think four oh nine or four eleven. Uh, that's right around when Garrett Cole's spin rate started to drop significantly, and now as everybody has been banned from using this sticky stuff, the weighted on base average for hitters on middle middle pitches has gone up thirty points. That is a huge huge deal. Because in the grand scheme of things, that's like you're, you're changing basically a league average hitter into somebody way, way different. You're, you're turning them into, let's see what the, the, that 30-point gap might be. Uh, that might be the difference between, say, Matt Olson and Justin Turner, which doesn't sound like a huge gap this year. So maybe we go down the line a little bit. We start to see how those averages start to... Uh, space them out, space themselves out more. The more you do it, uh, that's like going from Jock Peterson to Christian Vasquez. You know, Peterson's another guy who is as with with the Cubs having a a different game this year. He's been he's been uh, a little bit of a different producer, just like Schwarber has. Maybe not to that level, and maybe he goes on his own heater, but. The other thing about this is that the Cubs are the ones who got rid of Schwarber, and it was really kind of like a money call, right? Like, they DFA'd him over the winter, right? And they said, you haven't produced yet like we thought you might over the course of your career, and we just don't see it coming. Did did they miss out? Did they miss something on evaluating Kyle Schwarber? I don't know. I think there's kind of a lot of hot air there. I mean, there's no... I don't know that Schwarber necessarily would have been doing this in Chicago. Had he been in Chicago, I think sometimes the guy needs a, you know, a kick in the butt to get going and getting DFA'd certainly is that. And, you know, you need changes of scenery. I mean, it looks bad for the Cubs because they did cut him for money purposes and, you know, signed Jock Peterson for less. And Jock Peterson has been not as good as Kyle Schwarber. So that's a poor trade in there on their part. But Peterson's also been fine. And I don't think there's, you know, Looking at this moment right now, it's a tough time to make a comparison. I mean, Schwarber has a 143 WRC plus right now. That is far and away the best mark for his career. Like, that number is going to go down. By the end of the year, I'm not sure the difference will be quite so stark. And, again, I think sometimes you just need to mix things up and you need to get a guy to a new situation. So, you know, the Cubs, was it like an error to let him go? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ready to say that. I think it was a good pickup for the Nationals. That's that's for sure. I, I will say that, but um, yeah, I mean, moves like this were going to be made. They were going to be made for money and the Cubs hadn't seen much out of him the last couple of years. I mean, he had a 188, 308, 393 slash line last year. So bottomed out for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was a short season and all that, but you know, the Cubs had to make some changes and they were definitely trying to figure out their financial picture moving forward. And Peterson's been a good clubhouse guy for them. I think it made sense to move in a different direction. I think it does make sense, and it really is hard to kind of knock them for it. Uh, I think it's one of those things you just never really want to see. I guess as a fan, that guy gets cut from your team and then goes and kills it on some other team. And while Schwarber is certainly likely to uh, level out a little bit, right? Because right now he's hitting a home run in one of every five plate appearances over his <laughs> last 10 games. Not That's not like a 20% home run to fly ball rate, which would be like 6% better than league average. That's one in five. That's 20% of your at-bats that you're hitting a homer. That, that, that is insane. 
it's like it's one a game. It's, it's yeah, pretty much it, one a game, or at worst, one every two games. I mean, right. And and right now we know that average. Even after a homerless day today, if it, if it stays like this, it's still more than one a game because he's already hit twelve in the last ten, and so that much of it stinks. But it does seem like even if he cools off and and levels out, that. Washington got those runs. They got the home runs that helped them win some games. And for two teams kind of on the periphery of competing this year, right? The Brewers have a six-game lead over the Cubs right now. The Nationals are only three games out in the NL East. I'm kind of curious to see what that might shake out uh, or how that might shake out come the end of the season. Like how much of a difference does Kyle Schwarber make and who would have predicted that before the start of the season? Unless they had, you know, Gray's sport, Sporting Almanac, right? Well, and the timing of it could not be overstated. I mean, the Nationals have turned their season around during this run. I mean, it's largely, you can largely credit Schwarber for it. I mean, Scherzer got hurt. We know Strasburg's been out. Corbin has just barely started to put it together. And the Nats just have not been, they were well under 500, and they just weren't really getting there, right? They were nowhere near... There, people were looking at them, licking their lips, hoping that Scherzer would make himself available. You know, after they went, they went ten and twelve in April and eleven and seventeen in May, and they've been eighteen and nine in June. They totally turned their season around as of right now. They've gotten themselves back into contention. They've given themselves a reason to hold on to Scherzer and Schwarber for that matter. I mean, he was another guy who was going to be one of the top bats available on the market if the if the Nats fell out of it. And now it doesn't oh, yeah. really look like that's going to happen. And They've done a nice job of kind of climbing back into this thing. And now it's up to kind of seeing what happens when Schwarber cools down to see if they can sustain it. And I guess it's going to take a minute to see what that looks like because, you know, who knows when a guy cools down and, and if it happens, maybe it's sudden, maybe it's a little more subtle. He described himself as just riding the wave, which I thought was kind of a fun <laughs> breakdown from a guy like Kyle Schwarber. Um, he's also, you know, for as in the zone as he is, you know, there's, I think it's Eric Yeager's, one of the, the um, pitching development guys on Twitter, uh, talks about calm mind and calm presence and all that in your game. And, and when you have your quietest mind, you have your best games. Like maybe Kyle Schwarber just has a really quiet mind right now. And yeah, can't so, I mean, that's what he was saying. He was saying the other day, I'm just trying to play stupid, just keep playing stupid, <laughs> you know, not thinking too much about it. Like, just keep going up there, swing the bat, and yeah, riding the wave. That's that's a shade of uh, Shane Victorino uh, tapping his helmet and saying, "No questions asked." Uh, that's <laughs> funny. I didn't realize that Schwarber had said all of that quote uh, because Victorino would do the same thing. He's like, "I just try not to think when I play." Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's. I don't know how the players balance it because there is so much information out there now. But you, yeah. you know, when you go up to hit, you do have to just let muscle memory take over, and you know, you can't be thinking about your mechanics and everything else. You got to be you know, see ball, hit ball, play stupid. And, you know, Schwarber's been so stupid recently. <laughs> oh, he's it. been an incredible dummy. He's been just <laughs> Such great. A dummy, man. If only we could uh, dumb down the other guys like him. <laughs> uh, so there's no telling when something might seep into his quiet mind and, and make a little bit of noise. Uh, but all of this comes about on Schwarber being, uh, having a suggestion made by Kevin Long, the team's hitting coach, of squatting more in his stance so he could elevate the ball better and more frequently, which is like, 
speaking of like just kind of stupid, this is one of those things that just it's so small. It's such a tiny mechanical adjustment that I don't know that anybody would necessarily think it as a regular fan. And I don't know, even if they thought it, like trying to get the pro who's been there, his career, like this is his living. He's clearly good at it. Trying to get that person to buy into, hey, have you thought about just squatting a little more? (laughs) Like that part blows my mind too. Because it's just one of those things where like player development never stops. Sometimes you just have a conversation. You're like, I'm just going to squat a little more. I don't know. I'll see how it goes. Well, and it's something that he's thought about before. It's something he's talked about before when he was with the Cubs. So it's like, it's not even that it's like so far out there. It's that like, you know, Kevin Long said, oh, I've thought about squatting more. And he's like, you know, I have, and it didn't really work. But maybe this time. (laughs) And then it does. And then it does work. And it's just like, sometimes it is just like something you need to be a little bit to mix things up and yeah, get you out of your head or something. And for whatever reason it's worked and you know, he's been on this incredible run. So, uh, so far so good. I don't know if they can get everyone else squatting or whatever else. I don't know what Kevin Long can say to Starlin Castro to make him hit a baseball, but sure would be, you know, good to get him to do something over there at third, but. Instead of uh, instead of batting practice, they're going to have squatting practice <laughs> around Nationals Park. Uh, and they're going to see how that one turns out. I think it's just one of those things where even this morning I was having a uh, fantasy baseball trade conversation and uh, came up the timing is everything. And, and the, you know, second team after you get DFA'd, after you were a pretty hyped prospect, you had some moments in the playoffs. And now, maybe now is just the time to find the way to squat right. I don't know. But I think while Kyle Schwarber also provides a great board to, to kind of uh, lean into the NL East. We talked about the AL East and how that division could be shaped with a trade, even from uh, an NL East team being involved. And we've got Schwarber's epic heater. And then we look at the rest of the NL East, and it's... Like, uninspiring doesn't even really begin to cover it, does it? No, I mean, I mean, it's just it's disappointing, really, because this was the division that we all looked at and were like, oh, it's going to be nuts in the NL East. There's going to be so many contenders. And then there's just, it's just this, you know, big, sad whistle and just <laughs> nothing here. And, you know, there's still some hope. But, I mean, it's still such a bizarre division because when you look at the run differential – the Nats, the Phillies, the Braves are all in negative territory. The Mets in first place are at plus 16, and the Marlins in last place are at plus 16. So it's just kind of a, you know, confusing division a little bit. And I'm not totally sure what to make of it. I mean, the Braves have not been to 500 yet this season. I haven't been above 500. They're four games under right now, 37 and 41. And as much as it feels like, oh, man. The Braves are out of it this year. Who knows what happened? They're still only, only five and a half back. At this point, it's really anyone's division, except for the Martins, who I think we can count on. Which feels weird that it is anybody's division because nobody has really played lights out. I think it's fascinating that the Mets are at plus 16 on their run differential because that means that their opponents have only scored 254 runs. The Mets have only scored 270 runs. They're 41 and 34 in first place above the Washington Nationals at 39 and 38 above the Phillies at 37 and 40. Like you're saying with Atlanta, 37 and 41. And as we've mentioned, the Marlins, 33 and 45 with 270 runs. That's the fewest runs 
in baseball. Now, granted, they're making up some games because of their weird schedule in the beginning of the year with various outbreaks and holdups and postponements and and weather-related delays. But that's, like, crazy to me that their pitching has been that good to ultimately still put them in a position to win despite this offense. Like, how long can that last? Well, a while. When you, so long as you have DeGrom healthy and you're getting a shutout once every five days. I mean, it helps when you have zeros up there for not quite 20% of your innings, but 10% of your innings. Like, it's a huge deal. Like, DeGrom makes a gigantic difference. I mean, that's why the Nats have been contenders every year is because they have Max Scherzer at the front every single season, just, like, pumping out wins. And DeGrom does the same thing for the Mets right now. And the rest of the rotation has been pretty solid, too. I mean, Tyron Walker has been the guy who's, like, been amazing. I mean, there's been no Carrasco, so, and, and yet Tommy Walker and Marcus Stroman have been doing their part. And, yeah, Stroman offensively, been... you're just like, I don't know, like, Francisco Lindor is going to hit, right? Like, because you look at the lineup, and they've had so many guys hurt that it's just like, it looks, it's all AAA defensive replacement types, except for Lindor, who's playing like a AAA defensive replacement type. And I don't know, something's got to give their, some, something's got to change. They're starting to get guys back. I mean, J.D. Davis and Jonathan VR went, uh, began rehab assignments this week, but like, you know, those guys aren't all stars. I mean, VR has been 10% better than average. You know, Davis is maybe going to be be that. They're not big time. They need their outfielders back. They need Brandon Nimmo and they need Michael Conforto to be their usual selves. And, you know, Nimmo was awesome this year when he was healthy. If he can be that good again, that should help. I don't know what to say about Francisco Lindor. I, I mean, I feel like he's going to turn it around, right? Like he's going to go on some hot streak any moment now and, it's, and he's going to be their missing offense. But but what I mean, does a hot streak? Thing I can imagine. What does a hot streak from Francisco Lindor look like at this point? Because he's hitting two sixteen, three hundred three, three sixty three. So he's he's OPSing under seven hundred, and a hot streak relative to that would could be like what seven seventy, where it's like, oh, Lindor looks a lot better over the last fifteen games. He's got this seven seventy OPS, <laughs> which like would still rank like easily dead last in his in his career almost like. Yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I don't it's know. It's a low bar. Yeah. Do you, think, do you think they have to make a move? Because they have the makings of a decent offense if guys are healthy, right? If you get Jeff McNeil hitting like Jeff McNeil, you have Francisco Lindor hitting any better than he's been hitting. You get Conforto back. You get Brandon Nimmo back. You got Pete Alonso in there. James McCann is your catcher. I think. Do, do that, they got to make a move somewhere? I think that they would be very tempted to say it could be really easy to stay. We trust these guys, we know who they are. Hopefully they don't have they don't have any more setbacks that we won't tell the public are not setbacks like Brendan Nimmo being one of those guys and Carrasco being that guy like four times this season. I think it'd be very tempting for the New York Mets to sit there and think we don't need to make a move we just need to play the way we can play. But at the same time, how many chances do you get? Because for as much as Jacob Degrom just keeps getting better each year. And for as frustrating as it might be that he's not really going deep into games at this point, he doesn't go past the sixth because of various injuries or whatever reasons, he's still extremely efficient in the best pitcher in baseball. You're talking about Stroman having a career, Tywin Walker having a season the likes of which he hasn't had in years because he has not thrown the way he has thrown this year in years. He's not thrown in the 90s, mid-90s. Maybe ever. Yeah. 
Uh, so, like, how much can you really spare the the year here? How much can you say, let's just see what happens when you're in a chance to take the division and you're in a chance to potentially go on a run because the NL is pretty open, right? Like, who are they fearing that they can't run into? Like, I'd be very interested to see which uh, absolutely futile offense between the Brewers and Mets comes out of a series where both teams' pitching is great. Uh, the NL West, of course, you're going to have to worry about, but you're going to have to worry about them every year for the next five years. So Yeah, and if you get Jacob with the ground in a playoff series, you take your chances. That's the thing. It's like, just get him there, and then you have the best pitcher on the planet. That's a that's a big-time advantage, even if you're even if you're, you know, offense is horrible. And yeah, I don't see how they don't make a move at the same time. I'm not sure what's really out there. I mean, they could use an outfielder, maybe they can, but that's going to be kind of a, a interesting spot depending on health for guys. So you can't get somebody that you're going to have to sit. You don't want to sit Nimmo or Conforto. So you got to kind of leave that spot open a little bit. I think third base is where you could potentially make a addition, right? You could sit JD Davis, but what third baseman are really out there? And third baseman, third base is one spot where there's actually a couple of teams that could maybe fill a need, including the the Nationals. They're in your division. But, I mean, the Cubs are starting to fall away. Maybe you go get Chris Bryant, but I don't think that's the type of move that they're going to go do as much as it would help the Mets in particular because he can move around so much. I mean, he'd be kind of a perfect get for them. But otherwise, is there somebody out there? Is there a third baseman? Is there a second baseman you can play McNeil at third? So, you know. There's got to be some kind of bat that they can get. I mean, basically, we're looking at the the Dimebacks, right? We're looking, is there anybody on the Dimebacks roster that we can put on the Mets? That well, would, Eduardo would Escobar help. is he's purportedly on the move to the White Sox at some point, right? That's what everybody seems to be pointing to to replace Nick Madrigal. Yeah. Uh, but what about like what do the Twins do with Josh Donaldson, an aging veteran on a short-term deal who has not played super well, and the team has played just absolutely awful, like? Do you like, is that a surprise to think that Josh Donaldson maybe gets traded? I mean, it would make sense for the twins. If you're moving pieces, why not move? I mean, the twins are this weird team because they have, you know, there were this clear cut contender coming into the year. They've totally fallen off and they don't really have like the heart of their roster is not, I don't know what they really have there in terms of core pieces. I mean, their core pieces are really kind of dangerous because you have Byron Buxton, who's, you're not sure what's going to happen with him year to year health wise. And he's a free agent after the next year. You have Nelson Cruz, who's 41, 42 years old. And you have Jose Barrios, who is again, a free agent after the next year. Kenta Maeda, who's 33. You just, they don't really have this core, core of players where you're like, Oh yeah, this contender is ready to go for next year. They do have some younger guys like Kirloff and Larnack who are in there now, but yeah, Donaldson, I would think that they might be happy to get off a contract like that if someone were to come, come after it. I don't know that he's – and it, it, that feels like a very typical Mets get for them to go get – bring a ring Josh Donaldson, in part because I'm not sure that he's the cure-all that they would think he is. Yeah, and I mean, they've certainly had their history of having a, an injured third baseman uh, be in and out of the lineup, right? So maybe they might want to avoid that. Maybe things would be different with Steve Cohen, but – I feel like yeah. this is really a moment where if Cohen wants to be the owner, everybody thinks he can be. Uh, and if, if that kind of thing does publicly, in terms of his perception, it, it, uh, influence the way he acts in a way that m- would make him look better, I think that could be really interesting. But again, I don't know that it would be the best. Uh, 
Otherwise, I don't even really know who's out there at third base that could could help a team. I don't know that the Rockies would suddenly trade Ryan McMahon at this point. No, uh, he's he's like Escobar. he's like the one guy that they've him and Ramel Tapia are the two guys that they've been like this. This is our core moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Oddly like, with Tapia. Okay, <laughs> you really gonna go with those guys, huh? Ryan McMahon uh, and Ramel Tapia. All right. I don't see a deal where the Mariners send Kyle Seeger over there. Um, John Birdie, maybe another Marlin who's who's played some third base. Uh, who's yeah. The problem is if you're, not, if you're not getting Chris Bryant, are you getting something that's an upgrade from? JD Davis, Jonathan VR, and you know Luis Guillorm. Like, is, I don't know that there's because those guys are fine. You have a you have a right-handed power bat. You have a left-handed speed bat. You have a, a defensive guy in Guillorm, even though he hasn't played great at third base. when given the opportunity there, and you have the makings of you know the right kind of Frankenstein player there. Even Donaldson, I'm not sure. You know, Donaldson's going to be making almost 22 million for two years after this year. I'm not sure he's better than the three of those guys put together. Well, maybe he is. I mean, he has a 122 WRC plus. He's still hitting for good power. Still has a walk rate, 12.7%. Still puts the ball in play. All right, Donaldson think, might be worth going to get. I don't know. He's he's still pretty good, but still, you have to wonder valid, is, that, like, is it marginal the upgrade, considering the cost of 21, 22 million plus whatever prospects you're giving up. Well, I think if you absorb all that money, the the Mets might be able to also avoid getting rid of top prospects like uh, Francisco Alvarez or Ronnie Mauricio or Brett Beatty, those kinds of players. Uh, but it's interesting too, because Bryant, you mentioned they could use an outfielder. He could be that guy if they really want to keep cycling through, right? Exactly. I mean, played... Bryant's a, he's a great, great fit for them because he can play third. You can move him to the outfield if you need to. He really protects you against a lot of things, including he's been playing center field this year. So, I mean, yep. I don't know that he's the guy you want in center field, especially when you have Dominic Smith in left field, but the point is he can play there if you need him to. And I don't know. It's really hard to know what the trade value for what the price point might actually be for Chris Bryant. You have to give up something of consequence for the Cubs to move him. But if you're the Mets, yeah, what are you waiting on? I mean, you have the money to re-sign him if you want to, if he goes nuts right. over the last couple of months. I mean, I don't know that he's not going to be another Francisco Lindor deal, but he'll be you know, a big time five year, six year deal, something like that. Yeah. You had the money for it. You can move him around. So he protects you a little bit in that, in that sense. So you don't block any one particular position. And he, you know, he's an MVP bat at his best. And he's, so, he's at his best this year, right? This is, he's having a great year with, with the bat. Right. Exactly. So yeah, you put him in that lineup and you know, who knows what happens. You bat him after Lindor and you know, you, you hope for that cascading effect of a guy getting to see a few more pitches. And I would think that he'd be the kind of best case, best case scenario get for them. Yeah, I, I think so. Because I think he's, he's showing us that 2020 was an anomaly because right now with a 132 WRC plus, he doesn't really look like he's faking his way through this. The batting average is down, but his productivity is still in line with really where it has been for the better part of his career. We, when we talked about him, uh, last week and and how great he was immediately that rookie year he had a 136 wrc plus he's been above that twice and below it twice by barely a few ticks so he's really right in his own sweet spot in terms of production so far this year and you're talking about him being able to play center field he's played 72 games this year uh, defensively 12 of them have been at first base 23 at third 
22 in left, 12 in center, 20 in right. So really even distribution at five different positions for a team that has not been able to stay healthy like the Mets, where they've been rotating through these kinds of second division or third division players. It seems almost like a no-brainer, but I, I don't know. Like you're saying, the, the Cubs are falling toward selling. We're still a while out from the deadline. If you had to make a call right now, do you think that Chris Bryant is a Chicago Cub on August 1st? Yeah, if I had to make a bet, I'd say that he is. But I will say that the Cubs are kind of running towards being out of contention here. They're about to finish getting swept by the Brewers. They were up 7 to nothing today in the first inning and lost 15-7, to I think. So, and oh, they that were game just, was wild. Which finishes off a sweep by the Brewers. It's, you know, Cubs are in a real downstairs. They had a really difficult month in terms of the competition that they face, but I'm not a real believer in them long-term. And I think if they, you know, if they have another bad couple of weeks, you can justify moving on from someone like Bryant. But I do think that you'd have to get someone significant back. You might have to, the Mets would probably have to overpay a little bit to get that kind of bat from Chicago. So, I, I mean, odds are he's still in Chicago because, you know, we've been looking at him every day for however long and he's still in Chicago now. But I do think that he is, you know, kind of as gettable now as he's been all season. And because he's playing well, that makes him even more gettable because the Cubs don't want to sell him. They don't want to sell low on him. So the fact that he's playing well means there's a better chance of moving him. The Mets just have to be willing to give up the right kind of guys. And and for the Cubs, I don't even know what that is because they've been a kind of high floor college position player type of org for a really long time. And then they went and traded for, you know, for preteens from the Padres in the U Darvish trade. So, I'm not really sure what they'd be looking for in a return, but it would be, you know, they would want something significant, even though they're just selling two months of Bryant. So let me ask you this. While the replacement for a team who is trading a player away might not be a top priority in their mind if they feel the deal is right for the franchise, they still have to have somebody play third base. So who's more likely to play third base? Do they, do they let David Bodie just run with it? Uh, is Nico Horner somehow worked in there more or do they look to also take a player who's under club control for the next three or four years who the Mets already have like say a JD Davis who is ARB eligible at the end of next season yeah I mean they could get Davis back I don't see what it really does for them I mean they're fine at third base this year they have Patrick Wisdom who we'd be talking about a lot more more for Kyle Schwarber he hit eight home runs in his first 11 games or something for the Cubs they have Matt Duffy coming back who actually was a it's big really part of his success early on. He's been really pretty good for them. He puts the ball in play. He's a different kind of different kind of batter for that lineup, the kind of guy that they really need and haven't had for a while, a contact first guy. Like you said, David Bodie's there, and David Bodie's going to be there for the next couple of years, so they could play him at third. I, I, I don't think that third base is really a concern for them in the long term. I think that it's something that they think they can probably piece together. So I, I think they'd probably want something younger than, than J.D. Davis. So you're saying that they're set enough that whether they want prospects closer or further away from the major leagues, that they they would want those prospects over like a JD Davis that would lessen the prospect return because there's yeah, still I, value in that like that controlled player aspect. I think so. I think I think the Cubs are really hoping to build a sustainable winner again, and I don't think that they believe their farm system is nearly there. So I think that they're they're not bottoming out, but I think they're even kind of keeping that in the back of their minds 
going into this offseason and seeing what happens and where they're at. Um, so I do think that they want their primary concern right now is, is building that development pipeline, getting talent in the minor leagues that's going to be ready to come up again because they haven't had that the last five years, really, since the World Series team they have not been able to reinforce from the minors and that's what's worked for them in the past. So I think that's kind of the priority in terms of any kind of a return for Brian. That said, you know, like you said, the extra use of control does have value for JD Davis. He's an asset they could try to flip somewhere else, but you know, I don't think that makes, I don't really see that as being Jed Horry's style so much. I think he'll try to maximize the Bryant asset when he, when he moves it, if he does move it. And if, if Jed Hoyer can get the Mets to make the move, Chris Bryant would immediately be the best New York Met hitter. He'd be only close to Pete Alonso so far with a 125 WRC plus and much better than their second best player currently, Jonathan VR at 110. Everybody else, every other regular for the New York Mets who has had at least 100 plate appearances has a WRC plus under 100 right now. And that's how you only get to 270 runs through 73 games or however many they've played because they just have so many guys who are definitively below average. Uh, and Francisco Lindor has only been better than Kevin PR. And that's not how you draw it up when you, when you acquire him in the off season, right? So Chris yeah. Bryant could be a huge, huge boon for that team. Yeah. I mean, the Lindor thing is the biggest problem because you, you really, you know, as much as you, we talk about depth and building out your depth and protecting your team against any kind of failures. Like the one thing you can't have is a total collapse of your superstar players. I mean, imagine if DeGrom had a five ERA this year, we would not be talking about the Mets. No. Con- contending. Like there are certain things that you need to just bank on. They need to just, they need to be your ground truth for the season. And I think for the Mets, it was DeGrom and it was Lindor and Lindor has not been that guy so far. Right. So I think there's really no, and there's nothing you're going to do about it. He's your guy for the next 10 years. So like, you know, he plays better or you're sunk there. And so you have to find the ways to improve elsewhere. You're not going to be able to improve that spot. Well, and that's the thing. Like you're not talking about acquiring Chris Bryant. If Francisco Lindor is Francisco Lindor, <laughs> like you're not as worried about the offense, even if they're 25th because yeah, you don't need has been that much better, but everybody else has stunk. Yeah, you just don't need those pieces. Uh, so it's really an interesting position, and I guess a turnabout, not really seeing Lindor playing this poorly this long and what a, what a turnaround could look like and how it could still look like a watered-down version of him for 2021. So why don't we think about, for the next couple of minutes here, quickly, the rest of the division. Do the Mets have this thing kind of locked up, or is there a fighting chance for literally any other team but the Marlins? I mean, there's definitely a fighting chance. I do. I think it's far from over. I think the Nationals actually feel really good about where they are. I think they look around the way the division's gone the last couple of years, and 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 I think they say like, you know, we know how to fight through this kind of season. And the Mets and Phillies are notorious for collapsing, and the Braves have a really tough season, and they lost their left fielder, who's a, you know their cleanup hitter and a big, big time bat for them, and they've lost. You know, Soroka's not coming back from them this year, so I, I think the Nationals really do see this as a division that they can take and they have some pieces. I mean, they, they certainly have some places they can upgrade, but I would not count the nationals out at all. I mean, as far as the Braves go, man, they need to hit. They've had a tough time hitting of late. Their rotation is good enough. They seem to have the pitching. It would be great. You know, Max Breed is back today. Is he going to pitch 
is he going to be his regular self? He's been okay this year, but not, you know, a Cy Young type ace. If he right. can be a more of a frontline guy, that should help. But their, their offense injuries. is struggling. I, I, and I don't know that they have, I mean, it helps that Austin Riley's been who he is, but man, they are a couple of bats away right now. Yeah. And the Phillies, between... I don't know. You got to tell me about the Phillies. I, I try not to look. It, it, it hurts too much. It hurts that too makes much two to of them sometimes. That but makes all I know is I sent them out the other day and I was like, who is Luke Williams? Like, <laughs> Luke Williams was playing all the time over there now. Luke I don't know Williams who that guy is, is gonna but be, he's out there. He's going to be a remember some guys guy for these Phillies teams, I think. Uh, he had his moment when he came up. I think he, he hit the game winner in like his debut game winning Homer in his debut uh, game overall. And that was like a big moment. And then like for the rest of everything since then, he's just been a guy um, in regard to Atlanta. They, they definitely do seem to be a couple of bats away Their Their injuries have really made it tough for them. I think to find any sort of ry- rhythm at all. Uh, the nationals do seem to be in a good spot to take advantage of their star players. Uh, even Patrick Corbin, we, we mentioned him briefly a little bit ago. He's got really mostly consistent release points, which is huge for a a pitcher like him who relies on a slider that doesn't look like anything else that a a batter sees. He's he's getting it back again. Uh, I think his next couple of starts are against the Dodgers and Padres, so those could be huge tests where they could be kind of red herrings. A lot of of pitchers have been knocked around by those two clubs so far this year, so I don't know that we can really weigh a lot of the next two games as long as he looks similar to the last three. Uh, but even then, you know, the Nationals, again, they do seem to be in a good spot. The Phillies, you you know, you're talking about them in Atlanta having uh, histories of collapsing or the, or the Mets. The Phillies have gone from collapsing in the second half to just collapsing all season. They, they've blown 21 of 76 save opportunities this year. <laughs> Man, uh, I, you know, I was writing for MLBTR the other day when they removed Hector Neris from the closer spot. It was I couldn't keep up with it. It was like he's out of the closer role. Alvarado's blown a save, and then Neris is back in. He's saving a game that night, but he blew yeah, the he, save first. It's just, and then the next night, there's another blown save. There's, they're blowing him saves so fast, he so lost, frequently. I think it's five or six more than any other team in the majors right now. It's just, yeah. it's incredible. And they're they're gonna they're probably going to easily break their their most blown saves in a year. I think uh, I don't have it off the top of my head. I think I heard it on the radio recently, where it's like 25 or 26 blown saves in a season. So it's like we're in. We're only about to enter July, and they've already, you know, really smashed that up pretty good. I mean, they just brought up Neftali Taliz. Neftali oh, Taliz, who hasn't pitched the majors in. I mean, I hope he does something. That would be pretty right. cool. He's 33 and was, you know, we remember him from when he was 20-something with the Rangers. But they are grasping at straws here a little bit. Archie Bradley's been a disaster. Yeah, Alvarado looks good, but – and Neris even is good at times, but still, there's, you know – letting those games slip away it's one of those things it's like a little bit anecdotal where they're maybe not as bad as as it looks kind of like edwin diaz you know a couple years ago or every year it seems like now but they've got to find a way to close those games and i don't know i would think that they'd be aggressive out there right now trying to get a bullpen arm maybe they're waiting for the cubs to you know fold it in so they can go get kimbrell he'd be a good guy for them but maybe they have it i mean even their management of Spencer Howard is extremely questionable to this point in the season and through his development overall with the org in terms of being called up and pitching in the majors. Bailey Falter has looked great. He doesn't throw super hard, but he's got like three or four distinct pitches, and he looks like like old-timey baseball pitcher wind-up guy. Like it, He has a really deceptive look that I think is going to be continually hard to hit. 
uh, because his stuff is good enough to to also separate from it. Oh, he's been and, good. And wow. really, walking just nobody. He does not give away. Yeah, he's not. Bags. I don't think he's walked anybody yet, right? Maybe one. Well, no, he was at least one. He has zero point six nine walks per nine. I so, think he walked one uh, batter of yeah, four one, innings in relief of Spencer Howard the other night. One uh, one so, out of forty eight batters walked. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's solid, and and he pounds the bottom of the zone, and he could be really good. Uh, but overall, they just don't seem to have it. They seem to have an abundance lack of it, capital I it, and they're yeah. in a rough spot. They're they're maybe in a similar but worse spot than the Cubs, where they've got the veterans already signed. We've talked about it to to extensions. These bigger name guys with nothing on the farm, uh, nobody is developing. People are taking steps back. The defense has been absolutely brutal, and the bullpen has been even worse than last year. Because which is like everybody was saying last year, like well, like historically bad. This is this is an anomaly. They can't get much worse. They couldn't possibly be a lot worse. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they play like, this. Don't way. tell us what we can do. Right. We can't right. get worse. Well, you wait and the, see. The most popular meme in the in the baseball group chat lately has been uh, Jason Momoa sneaking up on the red carpet on Henry Cavill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and with the 2020 bullpen and the 2021 bullpen dueling it out for historically worst, most embarrassing ever. So I don't think they've the Phillies some, they've, they've had get any near, anywhere near it. They've had some tough breaks. I mean, Coonrad being hurt right now. Kinsler, I think, would actually be a really good piece for them if he were healthy. Jojo Romero looked like he had some. I was really excited to see if he could become one of these like bullpen ace types. You know, Stranley Dominguez has been out forever. But so yeah, I mean, it, but it's bad. And then the Spencer Howard stuff, like you said, like that's that's the real bummer. It's like you don't have a ton of pitching on the farm, so don't tank your best pitching prospect just because you need bullpen arms. Like just go get bullpen arms and that that whole and thing protect is this weird. guy so he can help your rotation next year because you're gonna need him. The Howard thing is all weird because he's held velocity deep into games in the minor leagues, and he's come up here and he loses it after one or two or three innings where he goes down to the low 90s. You can't have that and be a starter. I don't understand it. Something is happening there. I don't know what it is, and I don't know that the Phillies are capable of figuring it out because everything they've they've given us in terms of player development for the last decade has only reiterated that they can't figure it out. And it, that's that's what's very, very frustrating about them is that they don't give themselves the chance to win. They only give themselves a chance for the other team to screw up more, which is like really hard to do when you're screwing up at the rate that they are because yeah. they are losing games. They are ultimately uh, not enjoyable to watch. You can't really recover from that kind of baseball. And I don't know that they'll have the, the run in them to take the division at, like this at this point. I mean, they're uh, so, giving him away. The defense has been so bad. Is that a Girardi problem, or or is it is it the guys that they have out there? Is you know, is Reese Hoskins just unplayable? Is Gene Segura not the guy to have up the middle? I mean, it's you I know, the thought was it. putting a cigarette at second base would be fine, but like you know, you know, what is I, happening there with that team? I would have thought that Girardi, Girardi led team would be fundamentally sound. He's been not good. I, I think I've reached the point where it's like, like this is kind of on you, man. Like you're making really weird decisions. I don't know what kind of control he has over the room or what kind of response he's getting uh but they just don't seem to play as a team they don't seem to play as in the game they don't seem to play with quiet minds like we talked about with yeah. Kyle Schwarber uh you know everything seems to get to them and and maybe that's beyond the manager's grasp where he doesn't really have the chance to to pull an entire team out of a rut that they kind of put themselves in 
and he's just trying whatever he can, and it's it's not looking good. It's looking a lot worse in terms of managerial decisions and things like that. Yeah, uh, I wonder if this if it's partially a Bryce Harper thing too, because he's not a quiet mind kind of player. Like that is not his style. It's never been his style. He's a you know high intensity player. Right. And if your hope for a team is that you're going to kind of, you know, go the 2019 Nats way and kind of loosen up and find it, like that's not going to happen on a team with Bryce Harper leading the way and and Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto, who you know also seems like a relatively intense dude. Girardi is obviously very intense. Like you just worry about the what happens to a team like this that seems like so high strung. That's like you know it might be great when they're going good, but if they really start to falter. Um, Right, you know, not and daily falter, but if they, they go don't after have there, any like, assets, they they can't necessarily go get a reliever because they don't have anybody to trade in the minors. They can't really move any of the guys on the major league roster because they're not very good. So but they can really... go get a reliever. They can go get Adam Simber, right, to bring this full circle. Like the, the Blue Jays didn't. did not give up very much to get Adam Simber. No, they didn't. But they could. You know, Dombrowski wants to. Yeah. You know, those guys are out there, and you don't have to have stud prospects to get them especially for relievers like that i mean there's i don't know that there's a deal that gets you know will you move in segura or something that really reshapes the lineup but if you want bullpen guys you can go get them they do exist out there i don't know that the phillies are capable of identifying them but well right dave dombrowski doesn't have that track record right and you talked about it with the cubs having a really tough month of a schedule and like now they're really in a skid they just got swept by the brewers when it comes to that that kind of thing for me and, and with a, a team like the Phillies have been, at a certain point, they just need to find a way to win the games, and they haven't. And I, I don't know that if they continue on that path, they're also not really putting Dave Dombrowski in a spot to say, yeah, let me go add a reliever. Let me see if you guys can compete because they haven't shown anything to indicate that they can this year. So I, I just, I don't know. I don't have any yeah. faith in them doing anything Man, notable it's so this too, year. It's so too bad because you look at that team, team a team led with Harper and Real Muto and Andrew McCutcheon with a young Alec Bohm. Like you figure that's enough there. And then the rotation should be solid with, with Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola and Zach Eflin. Like you have three legitimate rotation yeah. guys. And yep. I don't know sure the Nats do. have that right now, but, and you know, those guys are going to be there because they're like guys in their prime who are proven dudes. And it's just, you would think, you would think they'd be better. What's happening in Philadelphia? You'd think that they could do it, but I just, I have zero faith in them. It's like, and I think the Nats and the Mets and the Braves kind of feel that way too. I feel like yep. you can feel it in the division where they're just like, we're not worrying about the Phillies. Great talents over there for sure. They compete, but we're not worrying about that. We're going to worry on our own games and we're going to let them shoot themselves in the foot. And it's going to happen. Right. I think it's a miracle that they're 37 and 41 with the way that they have played. It, I think it's a, a remarkable footnote on their season that their record is only four games under 500 with the way that they've played. So the way we see this really is that it is maybe a two team race in the NL East between New York, uh, between Washington, maybe Atlanta, if they can get healthy. Uh, I don't know that the Phillies get there and the Marlins seem like they're already saying we're out of it. Right. Does it, does yeah, that I, seem I like a fair way to round Marlins. up? Yeah. I could cross off the Marlins for sure. I mean, the Phillies aren't a cross off team, but I don't have a lot of faith in them. The Braves are a bit of a sleeping giant, but, Right now, yeah, my money would be on the Mets or the, or the Nationals. So that brings us to this week in baseball where we, we can run down some of the bigger injuries uh, more through the game than are, are probably uh, necessary to talk about outside of knowing that, of course, injuries are up again. 
Uh, they just have been all year, more than they have been in, in pretty much any other year, especially in recent history. Uh, but some big ones. The Astros said that they don't expect Alex Bregman back for a month with his hamstring strain. Quetzal Marte strains his other hamstring to land on the I.L. Mike Trout has been transferred to the 60-day I.L., uh, eligible to return July 17th with his calf strain. That's probably more procedural with a 40-man roster move coming. Then Nelson Lamette to the I.L. with a four, uh, forearm inflammation. Do any of those strike you as particularly death knellish, TC? Um, I mean, Mike Trout being hurt was death knellish. Moving him to the 60-day is just procedural, so, you know, not anymore. The Dimebacks are dead. If they weren't, Cattell Marte would be a death knell, but, you know, we've been there. It was a death knell last time they lost him, so it's just kind of a, yeah. the, you know, the echo of that moment. Uh, you know, Denison Lamette hurts for the Padres. I can't believe that they need pitching now. After everything they went and got, I know they still look a little bit light on pitching. And Lament, they protected him. Like they've yeah. worked hard. They have they haven't pitched more than five innings. They didn't pitch him more than three innings in his first four or five outings. And then just recently they started having go four and five innings. And he's been really good just in short stints. And and yet there's this forum inflammation. It's just like, what is going on with this? Is, is there some structural damage that they haven't found, or is he or is his body just not meant to throw baseballs the, the way he throws them because he's just always getting hurt like this and and he's a really powerful powerful talent when he's there and when he's healthy even if he's just there for three innings at a time man in the playoffs that's a that's a big time guy right yeah and that's the thing i think he'd become watered down and i think they both both parties here wanted him to play as much as he could even if it didn't mean a whole lot i mean he he had 11 games and only threw 34 and a third innings before hitting the IL again uh, for the Padres. And he's a guy who, like, you think of him as younger. He's 28. He just turned, uh, he, he didn't just turn 28 either. He's going to be 29 soon. Uh, and I was having a conversation recently where there was a debate about, like, do you just throw your best pitch as much as you can or do you try to work in other things? And some guys it came up like some guys just can't necessarily handle throwing their best pitch when it's a slider and it puts a ton of pressure on their elbow. And maybe that's what's happening. Lamette slider is electric, but maybe he just isn't built to throw it as much or the way he does. And I think it's one of those things at this point where you just have to let him sit until he's totally healthy. And it is a bummer, but at, at a certain point, like maybe there is a, a loss of return and only getting him to go three innings and needing six from your bullpen or to stack a, or piggyback another starty with him every five days. Uh, because they do have him and Clevenger and Adrian Morihon and all on the IL. And they've got uh, Mackenzie Gore not really having ironed things out. He seems to have really faltered in his development. He's really plateaued. So yeah, they yeah, do seem light. It does seem disappointing that Lamette has hit the IL again. But Ryan Weathers is coming back, and I think you're right. For the Padres, like the goal has to be just, just get them ready for the playoffs. Like you know, you're a playoff team. You got to figure out some path to having him available in September and October, whatever whatever that is. That's got to be your goal with him. You you can't worry about getting him ready for starts in July. You know, can you rest him enough? See what Ryan Weathers has as a starter. See right. what some of these other guys have, and right. If you have to, and if you have to go out and get somebody, go out and get somebody. I think they had to think of Lamette like a, like a piggyback guy, like he's going to be a, essentially a bullpen ace for them, and plan accordingly. 
On more serious notes, uh, the former Mets GM Jared Porter was placed on the ineligible list through 2022 by MLB Today. And I guess in, in a similar vein, Trevor Bauer is under investigation for some very serious sexual assault charges. Uh, do you see, like, what do you make of Porter being made ineligible through 2022 to be employed by any team? And do you think MLB would do anything like that to Trevor Bauer if anything came of that investigation? I mean, if something comes, if there are charges brought, there will be some kind of suspension for Bauer and potentially a long one. I mean, it won't be like with Porter here. I mean, Porter's thing is, you know, he's not going to get hired again in baseball. So it's, it's yeah. in some ways, it doesn't even matter what MLB did. It's good that they censured him and that he's out for a year and a half. But in a lot of ways, it feels like that's not even enough. Why is he able to reapply in a year and a half? That's right. not very much time. Like, you know, why let him reapply at all? Why not just kick him out of baseball when you know it's kind of procedural anyways? Because what team is going to hire Jared Porter? So I don't know. I, I feel like you should just boot him and be done with it. Don't give the man some hope he's going to come back. And he's, he's he's done in baseball, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, this this is like um, this is like Mickey Calloway. Like you waited long enough, but it isn't really quite a story. That it is procedural. That nobody's probably hiring him again anyway. So uh, I don't yeah, quite and- see it. Although. The Bauer stuff, I guess, uh, if you read it as a heads up, it is graphic. Uh, and yeah, hopefully there is a suspension there if any of this is, is moderately true. Um, and I just hope MLB is willing to step in against one of their mouthpieces because that's kind of what Bauer's been. He's kind of been able to do whatever he wants anyway. So Yeah, I mean, I think they'd be happy to suspend him, but except that they don't really suspend anybody. And, and, you know, they're afraid of the blowback and they know that there's going to be a lot of blowback from power no matter what it is. But if there are charges or there is more, you know, if there's significant evidence brought forward or whatever, if there's any hint of like actual, you know, definite guilt, like you've got to make a move and he he will be suspended if that's the case. You know, we've had many guys suspended under the domestic violence policy and almost none of them have been convicted. So, MLB has shown willingness to to make a move and then some form or fashion it's usually not all that harsh it really doesn't feel all that harsh usually but we'll see what happens it's going to depend on how things kind of move forward and you know I don't like speculating about it without knowing more about these things and it's impossible to really know about them so you know he's not a great he doesn't seem like a great dude I'll say that and you know I hope he's a better dude than they're than they're making him out to be right now but I won't be surprised if he's not. Fair point. Um, other news. Max Scherzer won't accept the trade without an extension. Did we talk about this last week? That's a pretty baller move, right? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty great. I mean, Boros also came back and said, like, it's not necessarily an extension. We just, a, 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 like, re or, a, what do you say? Like, a, you know, <laughs> we want to have a, we want to open up the conversation again. We don't, we don't want necessarily, whether that means, like, he wants, I don't know what, like better peanuts on the plane or whatever, <laughs> something. He just wants like to be able to get yeah. extra stuff or something. But it's not shocking. I mean, the, the Nats, I don't think are going to trade him. I think they were going to be, they'd have to be really, really far out to trade him. They love Max Scherzer. They want him to be the first national wearing a national hat in the Hall of Fame. Like he's their guy. And I, and I just don't think they trade him unless they really, really bottom out in the next in the next month here. And even so it won't happen before the 31st. Like if he gets traded before the 31st, I will be shocked. Exactly. Yeah. Especially with the run they're on lately, you know, they want to seem to, they, they know the value of just hanging around long enough. And, and that certainly seems to be what they might be going to do anyway with Scherzer. 
Uh, on on maybe the lightest note possible, it's Bobby Bonilla Day. So by the hey. time anybody hears it, the annual holiday will have passed, but you can still celebrate. This is the the day every year the Mets cut a check for Bobby Bonilla and deferred money. Um, <laughs> man, is it Bobby Bonilla Day already? Oh man! Yeah, I'm not even yeah, prepared. It's, it's officially summer, everybody. <laughs> uh, oh, I totally breezed over this uh hector santiago of the, the seattle mariners is the first sticky stuff suspension uh purportedly just rosin and sweat but the league said we don't need to check it because once the once the ump determines that it's good enough to get thrown out you're, you're suspended like is this more God. mickey mouse could it possibly be more ridiculous God, they're so dumb it's like just test it you have it you have the yep. glove test the glove wait 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 two days wait five days wait a week he's gonna appeal anyways just you don't have to suspend him to show you're big and tough. How about looking smart for once instead of looking tough? Like, just wait, <laughs> test the freaking glove and see what's on it. I won't my hold goodness. my breath. I will I not hold my breath on MLB deciding to look uh, procedurally smart or public relations smart beyond their wallets. So uh, here we are at the PL piece of the week. Matt Kovacs, high five. Glenn Burke goes into the history of the high five and one of baseball's earliest openly gay players uh, given that we did just, or we are wrapping up Pride Month, you, you can check that out. You can check out some just of the fun pieces that Matt writes. Uh, generally focuses on history-oriented things. He's written about Rod Serling, of course, of Twilight Zone fame and uh, and his uh, his affiliation with the Dodgers and so on, and, and, and many, many other topics that are really kind of interesting and fun to keep up with. So make sure that you check out Matt, uh, who I believe is on Twitter, at Sid Finch with uh, two Ds, of course, that, that classic SI April Fool's bit. They're uh, getting some some homage paid to it in his handle. Uh, so, TC, where can we find you online? Speaking of Matt's Twitter, where can we find you? Uh, well, I was writing all day today for MLB Trade Rumors. So, yesterday, you can find me on MLB Trade Rumors. <laughs> and uh, I'll be there again Saturday. And uh, I finally have a piece going up. It's ready to go now for Pitchless about how good the Cubs bullpen is now that it's no longer any good. I've got that one ready to go. <laughs> so, that'll be up on Friday. And uh, find me in the Discord. Find me on Twitter at TC Zanko, Z-E-N-C-K-A. Yeah. You can you can find me there in the Discord, too. You can find uh, me online at Tim Jackson Says on Twitter and around Baseball Prospectus. I just double-dipped today. I filled in for the uh, the esteemed Howard Megdal uh, in addition to my own piece. So two pieces out today where I talked about eight pitchers total who have either improved in season or avoid the heart of the zone and who might be less concerning uh, because they don't have goop because batters are crushing it in the heart of the zone right now. Uh, you can find this the, the, the pod at BreakingPodPL on Twitter and at BreakingPodPL at gmail.com. Uh, of course, we love spending time with you, so please take just even the quickest moment to rate five stars and comment uh, something kind. It does, it does a ton for us. Uh, so we really enjoy you stopping by this week. We can't wait. For next week, we hope you all have the best week ever. Go out there and get it, everybody.